Welcome to the Chris Rawl Show. Please remember to subscribe and download this podcast on the platform of your choosing. That is an immense help on our side. Please remember to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Again, that is an immense help on our side. And last but not least, if you enjoy this show, please share it with a friend. Get them to subscribe and download. Let's get this thing ramped up. On today's episode, the NFL regular season is over. And once again, week 18 comes down to the margins. If I have said it once, I have said it a million times. The NFL, more than any other sport, is decided on the margins. I think about this nonstop. You probably think that I'm a freak for saying that, and I am a freak in many ways. However, I watch the NFL at every possible conceivable way, angle, time. Anytime it's in front of me, I feel compelled to watch it because it is a mesmerizing sport. This last weekend is a great example. You couldn't ask for a more scintillating final week of the regular season with playoff berths on the line. Good teams playing good teams, good teams playing bad teams, and just turning results on their heads. We saw it all. Um, It was incredible. And it was another reminder that the discrepancy between worst and best in the NFL is always slimmer than we give it credit for. Um, I have a tendency sometimes to just think of it in terms of other sports and go... Well, yeah, the worst team in college football versus the best team, it's just not a fair matchup. Yeah, NBA, it's kind of the same way, you know. The NFL is kind of a different beast. It's why I think it is the most mesmerizing sport and why I find it really interesting to parse through and discuss because of how many of these games come down to the margins. Again, it's a small sample size sport. Even in the regular season, there's only 17 games. So a lot of these games are coming down to just random twists of fate, ref call, fumble bouncing this way or that way. You know the drill. And when we get to the playoffs in one-game scenarios, it's even more so. I was thinking back over the course of this regular season, and I'm going, it's pretty crazy that the Buffalo Bills, who are a very good football team, Right now, the third best odds to win the AFC, gambling-wise. Packed right up there with Kansas City and the Tennessee Titans, who have a first-round bye, but they're all right in that same category. It's crazy that they lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars early this year. Jacksonville Jaguars, who, unfortunately, they are not a very good football team. However, the margin between a really good team and a not very good team within this sport, it's, again, slimmer than I think we give it credit for. So, strange result. Then I'm thinking on that, and I'm going, you know what also is very strange? Arizona Cardinals, who are a very good football team, who are going to be playing on Monday night against the LA Rams in the playoffs. They got their ass whooped by the Detroit Lions, who are not a good football team, who have Jared Goff as their quarterback, who have a collection of players that Even people who follow the NFL closely, I'll bet you couldn't get past five players on that team. Again, the sport is just packed more tightly together than I think is talked about a lot. 
Cincinnati Bengals. Within this season, these are all within this season. Just as I'm thinking this over in my head, the Cincinnati Bengals, who are a very good playoff football team, will be playing against the New England Patriots this weekend. They lost to the New York Jets with Mike White as their quarterback. That seems like it was seven lifetimes ago. Even when it happened, it was strange. But now with the full context of the season, we know that Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and that offense are just terrifying. We know the Bengals can actually play some, all right, reasonable defense. And the Jets are just the Jets. And they were starting Mike White under center. That team beat the Bengals. That's crazy. Dallas Cowboys get steamrolled at home by the Denver Broncos earlier this year. I mean, what are we talking about? Earlier this season, the Tennessee Titans get beat by the Texans. It's just crazy stuff. The discrepancy between these good football teams and these teams that we know now are not good, it's still tighter than you think. So when it's tighter than you think and you get in a one-game setting, the stuff that can decide this is strange. It's minuscule. It is the margins. Now, in this vein of upsets and just the way that the NFL can turn you on your head as a viewer in the snap of a fingers, Sunday, the Indianapolis Colts need to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars to make the playoffs. Every gambler on planet Earth has the Colts' money line tied into every parlay they could conceivably think of because it was just such a sure thing. Colts is 14, 15, 16-point favorites, depending on where you get them at, but their money line was the sure thing because we know that they're motivated. They have to win to get to the playoffs. And we know the Jags have nothing to play for, and they're a bad team. And then the game takes place, and the Jaguars just kind of handle them and win going away, 26-11. to 11. What in the hell is happening here? That's what I'm thinking this whole time. Carson Wentz turns into a pumpkin at the wrong time. Colts can't get Jonathan Taylor going, and now they're going to sit at home. That's what can happen in a one-game setting between a team that we think is good and a team that we know is not good. Okay? I want to hammer that point home. Because it's important for what I'm going to talk about. This, this idea that NFL games in general come down to the margins. So the NFL regular season's over. It was a hell of a ride. Especially this final week. It's such a good sport. I just want to... I'm still basking in the afterglow of this weekend. Especially the Rams, Niners, and the... Chargers, Raiders, which I will talk about. It's like I've had the greatest sex of my life and I'm just sitting in bed afterwards and just feeling content and peaceful. That's how I feel right now, okay? I'll be honest. It's a very good weekend of football. But that's all done. And so this episode, I'm going to point out how slim the margins are in each individual game. That is the point of this episode. Even between teams we think are separated by a great amount, like the Colts and Jags, like the Lions and Cardinals, the Jags, Bills, go down the list. And we know now, we have plenty of evidence over years and years, and even within the season, that the teams that we think are separated by a lot, it's never really true within the regular season. And now, as we transition into the postseason, the best time, it's even less so. Because when you accumulate all the postseason teams, 
then we have a grundle of football teams who are quite similar in one capacity. They are all capable of playing good football. That's why they are there. They all have good records because they have had more consistency at winning football games. Pretty simple concept, right? Now, I think it's important to point this out as we enter the playoffs. Because this is where narratives really take on a life of their own. Amongst fans and amongst media, how we talk about teams, coaches, players. And so I think it's important to point this out right now, to be cognizant of it as the playoffs are happening. Because over the next few weeks, there's going to be a, a lot of phenomenal football games that are going to boil down to the margins. And then after it's done, we're going to sit and we're going to be forced to listen to a bunch of clowns on television. Come on and shout and say, this is why this team or this coach or this quarterback is bad. Or uh, even worse, not cut out for winning, the great football man quote because they lost a close playoff game. Because they lost a game amongst two teams that are neck and neck with one another that came down to the margins, things that many times you cannot control and things that when you can control, it's a punt returner doing this. It's a kicker making or missing a field goal. It's the people that we never will heap the spotlight on or the praise or anything like that. It will come back to an overarching Thesis statement about a team or a coach or a quarterback. Quarterback especially, as I'm going to get into a little bit within this episode. So again, I will repeat this before I start talking about last weekend and we transition into the playoffs. The NFL, more than any sport, is decided on the margins. So Saturday... The Chiefs and the Broncos are going at it, and it seems it's the same style of scenario as Colts and Jags. The Chiefs have something to play for, possible one seed. Broncos have nothing to play for. We know they are just a schlubby-ass team. They just are. Big Fangio, their coach, is fired after this game. Not sure if he's deserving of that, but that's a whole other separate thing. The point is, we know that the Broncos can play good defense. We know that they're not really that good at football. But when you understand those narratives coming in and then watch the football game... It's like two opposite things. You know, you can't really predict what this game is going to come down to. You think of the trajectory of each team coming in, one on the ascent, one on the descent, one playing for something, one not playing for anything. One quarterbacked by Drew Locke, who is maybe the worst starter in football right now. One quarterbacked by Patrick Mahomes, who outside of Aaron Rodgers is in the discussion for the next best starting quarterback in football. Again, the Chiefs have a possible number one seed to play for, which is attached to a bye, which is worth its weight in gold. And instead, the Broncos are kind of up the majority of the game. And the swing play, the margin play that this game comes down to is Denver being up by one with under eight minutes to go. They're inside the Kansas City 10. They have a second and two. They forget to block Melvin Ingram on the edge. They run Melvin Gorg right up the middle. He gets drilled. Ball pops out. Nick Bolton picks it up. And Drew Locke could easily tackle him. He decides to play some bastardized version of patty cake with... Nick Bolton, who does not indulge and just kind of says, all right, peace. I don't know what this is, but I'm gone. And he runs the ball 86 yards for what ends up being the game-winning touchdown. That's what this game comes down to. A game between two teams that we know one is definitely better than the other. So a game like this comes down to a margin play of fumble, huge return out of the red zone. Quarterback doesn't know how to tackle a linebacker with the ball in his hand ends up being the game-winning touchdown. Boosted by a Vic Fangio 
decision to kick a field goal on their following drive when the Broncos are down seven and time's dwindling. And he says, I'll take the points and we'll kick it back to Mahomes with four minutes to go and trust that we can get a stop, but we'll still need a touchdown. And they don't get a stop and they still needed a touchdown. They lost 28-24. So that's what that game comes down to. Now just think, as we project, imagine what these playoff games between teams that are much closer in talent and in skill are going to boil down to. It will be nothing. So I personally, because of this, am always hesitant to engage with what I see on ESPN the following week after these playoff games. People are losing their minds and they're saying, Derek Carr cannot win because he just lost this football game and he's garbage and you can never build a winning franchise around him. Or, you know, Matt LaFleur is a losing coach because the Packers just lost and uh, he can win in the regular season, but he can't win when the lights are the brightest. This stuff does not resonate with me. It really does not. In every single sport, that is why it is a constant theme of this show. It is why I'm so passionate about it. And it really does not resonate within the NFL where it seems like random chance plays even more of a factor than anything. The Ravens and the Steelers, they're playing a game that we think is meaningless on Sunday, and it actually ends up being an enormous game, which puts the Steelers into the playoffs. Just a weird slog played in the mud. The style of game you would expect between this year's Pittsburgh Steelers with 612-pound Ben Roethlisberger playing behind an offensive line that is significantly smaller and less equipped to block than their quarterback. Very strange phenomenon. And on the other side, Tyler Huntley and the Ravens just decimated by injuries. Who knows what you're getting there? But it's just, it's a weird game. Goes into overtime. Steelers end up winning there. There's a million different margin plays, but the one that I wanted to think about, because you'll never think about it ever again, is a tie game in regulation. The Ravens get the ball back. There's less than a minute to go on the clock. And we know they have the best kicker in the league, Justin Tucker, one of the best kickers of all time. And Huntley puts a great pass into Hollywood Brown's arms down the right sideline, about 30 yards past the line of scrimmage. If he catches it, which he actually does initially catch it, they're within 10 yards of Justin Tucker's field goal range. Put him in position to kick a field goal that would win the game. And he catches it. Minka Fitzpatrick comes screaming in, hits him. Ball barely pops out. And that's one of those plays that I think about. It's just a benign football play that will happen. For whatever reason, he didn't retain possession of the ball. But this is what this kind of stuff can come down to. Tyler Huntley puts a perfect throw there. Hollywood Brown just can't retain possession. Ends up costing the Ravens down the road. Steelers win. Now they're making the playoffs. Now there are two games specifically because they involve the two teams that I think were the closest in skill level from the weekend. There are two games specifically that I really want to dive into that I think were absolutely fascinating football games from just a football perspective, but are also fascinating examinations of A, what football games come down to in the NFL, and B, the narratives surrounding quarterbacks. Two things that I could talk about forever. And I do. You know, it's one of my great passions in life. And if you've ever come across me in life, you know that these are the two things that I really like talking about in the NFL. Um, The two games are the San Francisco 49ers against the LA Rams and the Chargers against the Raiders. Start with San Fran and LA. San Fran has to win to get in the playoffs. The Rams have to win to clinch the two seats. So stakes are high between two teams that are floating right around the playoff picture. And 
I'm heavy in on the Rams, gambling-wise. And they come roaring out. They're just, they, they dominate the first half. Absolutely dominated. There's a weird swing play that I think about at the end of the first half. Marginal stuff, really marginal. But I just think is interesting to point out because in retrospect, you can point to it and go, is that where the game kind of turned? The, the Rams are up 17-0. They have the ball. There's under a minute to go in the first half. They have a third and one. Seems like they're going to be able to get in position to, at the very least, attempt a field goal with Matty Gay. And they line up Stafford in the shotgun. Troy Aikman's going, what, what's going on here? And he drops back, like a deep drop back, ends up taking a sack on this third and one play. Which is fine. Okay, whatever. It doesn't seem like it's really going to cost him. But instead, Niners call timeout. They haven't been able to move the ball whatsoever in the first half. Garoppolo hits a few passes. They kick a field goal at the buzzer to make it 17-3. to Again, it seems just like a nothing play at the time. And I didn't think much of it. I'm going, all right. You still dominated the first half. You're up two touchdowns. That's fine. You're easily covering minus three. Let's just finish this out. And I can go cash my bets. Instead, the second half, the Niners come roaring out. And the quarterback who I want to concentrate on in this game is Jimmy Garoppolo, who causes a great amount of consternation in the NFL world. Because he's one of the quarterbacks that a lot of people like to point out and go, you could never, ever win a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. And I always go, Jimmy Garoppolo was up by two possessions in the fourth quarter of a Super Bowl three years ago. I mean, (laughs) what are we talking about? He's not an ideal quarterback. I agree with that. Jimmy Garoppolo can be a good quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo can be a bad quarterback, which is very similar to Matt Stafford on the other side, who played his part in the Rams' demise in this game. But that style of quarterback, you can you can always win a Super Bowl if things are perfect. If you get the margins, if your team can cover up for the clown interceptions or throws that you make every game, which both of those quarterbacks do. Most quarterbacks do. Aaron Rodgers is probably the only person who doesn't do that right now in present day, honestly. So Garoppolo throws two picks in this game. Second one is just a really a, an atrocious throw. In a tie game, and they're not at 17. Niners are inside the red zone. It looks like at the very least they're going to be able to kick a field goal and go up, take the lead for the first time. Now, it, it is... It is something that is worthy of pointing out that Jimmy Garoppolo was playing with a hurt thumb. And so the Niners determine this is our best chance, better than Trey Lance, because I'm not sure if he knows how to play quarterback. So you're going to play. You already come to the table with flaws that everybody knows about, including Jimmy G. You're not going to be that aggressive taking shots downfield. You're going to be pretty afraid of throwing outside the hash marks because you don't have the arm strength necessary for that. You don't have the kind of anticipation and just physical, raw talent to throw into areas of the field that the really best quarterbacks possess. Justin Herbert, Aaron Rodgers, people of that ilk. But again, he's playing with a hurt thumb. So he throws this pick. It's just atrocious. Throws it behind George Kittle, who has some room. Jalen Ramsey bumbles it around, ends up picking it off in the end zone. So it seems like the Rams are going to win because they go down, they score a touchdown, time's dwindling. And this is the point of the game where I think about quarterback narratives and the things that have to fall into place just for a quarterback to prove. And I say prove in hard air quotes because prove in the eyes of people who talk about the sport, not me, because 
I kind of accumulate this over the course of time, and I'm pretty hesitant to just make these really outrageous conclusions based upon watching this one drive from a quarterback or stuff like that. I'm always thinking about, man, there's a lot of stuff that goes into this sport. There's a lot of stuff that goes into this one game. So trying to say that the quarterback just was the reason they won or lost, it's kind of hard for me to engage with that a lot of the time. So the Niners, they're down by touchdown with three minutes left. They get the ball back, and it's one of those moments of truth, right? Jimmy Garoppolo, here's your time to prove that you're a clutch quarterback. And the Niners have an immediate three and out. Immediate. Duff on first, Duff on second. Garoppolo takes a huge sack on third. It's like fourth and 20-ish. So rather than going for it, because they're probably thinking, I'm not even sure if Garoppolo can throw the ball 20 yards at this point. They punt. And they say, we're going to rely on our defense for a three and out. We have three timeouts. There's no margin for error. We have to get a three and out right now or the game is over. And if that goes right, which is no given, then we have to rely on our offense with Jimmy Garoppolo, who's not an explosive quarterback, who again, lacks the ability to throw to areas of the field that you kind of need to really make explosive plays. The explosive plays that they make, they're more within the manufactured confines of Kyle Shanahan's offense, play action, getting the ball to playmakers' hands in space and letting them run after the catch. That's how the Niners have built a functional offense. So all that stuff has to be there just for a quarterback to get now another chance to prove this this clutch gene, the thing that we're always lusting after. So the defense steps up. Force a punt. After three and out, use all their timeouts. Niners get the ball back. They need to drive about almost 90 yards with under two minutes to go and no timeouts. It's just, I still was so confident that it was not going to happen that I wasn't really sweating my bet, even though I'm going, "Uh, okay. And then the next thing you know, there's two great plays by Debo Samuel. A couple good throws by uh, Garoppolo, to be fair to him. And the Niners get into range. And the Rams blow a coverage on Juwan Jennings and Garoppolo hits him coming across the middle. Touchdown, tie game, going to overtime. Niners end up winning there. So the game's over. The Niners are celebrating as they should. Now in the playoffs, Rams have dropped from the two seed to the three seed. And I'm thinking about this game in terms of margin play, which is crazy. That sequence that needed to happen with three minutes to go in regulation. It, it's such a slim chance that the Niners are even going to get the ball back again, much less have Jimmy Garoppolo drive them down the field almost 90 yards with no timeouts and less than two minutes to go to score a game-time touchdown, then win in overtime. Very slim probability of that happening, and yet that's what happens. Helped by a, a very poor game from Matt Stafford and two poor throws in his own right on interceptions in that game, including one in overtime. Now, this is where I would like to make a quick pause and say I always find the way that we frame quarterback play to be very interesting. I really do. Because I know how narratives work. And I know the way that fans and media members, for the most part, like to talk about quarterbacks. And if you're on the good side of things, if you've been stamped with that precious clutch gene, then we can fit any performance to match that. So if it's Tom Brady playing in this game instead of Jimmy Garoppolo, 
what we would say is incredible performance. He threw for 316 yards. He led a game-tying drive down the stretch of regulation that was awesome. And he led a winning drive in overtime for Robbie Gould to kick a game-winning field goal. And he did it all on a hurt thumb. What perseverance, what will to win. Okay, that's what we would say. However, if it's the person who did all those things, Jimmy Garoppolo, who also threw two picks to the one touchdown that was on a blown coverage, if it's somebody like Garoppolo, then it's easier to just talk about him like he is and kind of say, hmm, that was a crazy game. And this is a quarterback who deserves a lot of credit for playing through an injury. And this is a quarterback who can be both good and bad, whether he's healthy or not, usually within the same game, which is how I like to look at the vast majority of quarterback performances. It's interesting to note. It's something to think about and remember, again, as we transition into the playoffs, where narratives about quarterbacks always reach their crescendo. Um, And it's been a reoccurring theme on this show Just how a playoff victory absolves a quarterback of everything that occurred in that game. And a playoff loss means that no matter how much good you did, you somehow are the piss pants. You are lacking what is necessary for your team to win. So that leads us perfectly into the best football game of the entire NFL regular season. Nothing could more perfectly encapsulate what this sport is, both as a mesmerizing television product and as a sport that boils down to nothing that determines who wins and who loses. Sunday night football, Chargers on the road as three-point favorites against the Las Vegas Raiders. I would encourage, if there's somebody out there pursuing a doctorate degree right now, I would encourage you to write your dissertation on this game about how we as a society have a tendency to extract grand meaning out of random chance. I think that is a very interesting subject. I think there are a lot of ways that that is manifested in day-to-day life. And one that I am very cognizant of is the sport of football, especially within the NFL. I knew, I knew, I knew without a fail from the start of this game that it was going to be from the Chris Rawl Bible of uh, of just being aware of, it's weird that we talk about this stuff in the way that we do rather than just acknowledging this is an incredible thing to watch that has twists and turns nonstop. It's better than any drama television show you will ever watch in its unpredictability. But in the end, that's kind of what it is. That's why it is such a mesmerizing television product for viewers. Because we cannot predict what is happening. And after the fact, we kind of act like, well, yeah, okay, sure, yeah. Let's let's retroactively fit these narratives that we already have, have determined are fact and there's nothing up for debate. Let's fit them into what happened. But as it's occurring, we're all doing what we did last night during this Raiders-Chargers game. We're going, this is amazing. I've never been a part of something like this. This is so bizarre. So on the opening drive, this is when I knew. This is when I knew. I had a premonition. Foster Moreau catches a little leak out of the backfield from Derek Carr. 
And he's rumbling and bumbling. It ends up being a, about a 50-yard gain. But he, he looks like he's going to run into the end zone. He gets inside the 10. And Nasir Adderley, who plays in the secondary for the Chargers, he comes screaming in, and he punches the ball loose. So now the ball is bouncing towards the left side at the pylon. You can't really tell on the television screen if it's going inside the pylon or outside the pylon, okay? If we're thinking about this in the context of the margins, this is a, this is a perfect encapsulation. Again, work this into your dissertation, whoever you are, doctorate out there. The margins are minuscule and they can come down to things that are pure random chance. Great play by Adderley. Great play by Moreau until he gets to that point. But once the ball is punched out, it's an oblong ball with two points, and it's bouncing this way and this way, there's nothing that can be controlled there. Now, the stakes of this particular play are if it goes to the left of the pylon, then the Raiders retain possession, and they have a bunch of cracks at scoring a touchdown. And if it bounces to the right of the pylon, it is Chargers possession at the 20. You couldn't have a bigger swing play this early in the game that just comes down to nothing. A literal bounce of a ball. So it bounces left. Raiders retain possession by a half yard. They don't end up punching it in, but it's worth three points. They kick the field goal, go on. Here you go. Now this game, again, it's worthy of a dissertation. So I'm going to just pluck some random things that are floating around in my mind. But all of you who watched it, which I'm assuming is the vast majority of people who listen to the show because it was the game that was on. It just sent everybody a buzz. It was the highest staked game of Sunday. Win, you're in to the playoffs, lose, you go home. You had the added juicy plot line of a tie puts both of them in and keeps the Pittsburgh Steelers out. The Raiders jump out early. The Chargers come back. They're up 14 to 10. It looks like they're seizing control. The Raiders touchdown drive at the end of the first half, which is another one of those swings that happens, similar to Rams-Niners. I just think this one was more pronounced. The Chargers call a timeout. There's about a minute left, and the Raiders have a third and 23. They're way out of field goal range. And it looks like at worst, you know, you're just getting... The ball back, you could run out the clock, go into the half up 14-10, great. At best, you still have timeouts. You could go down and kick a field goal. The Raiders run a draw on third and 23 to Jalen Richard. A draw. They're, they're just trying to punt, obviously. <laughs> and the Chargers' abysmal run defense rears its head at the worst possible time. And they end up getting a first down. And the next play, Derek Carr throws a... Pass into the end zone. It's about 40 yards away to Zay Jones. The pass lands about by the left pylon. Zay Jones is in the dead center of the end zone where he's hit by a Chargers defender. Um, you couldn't have a less catchable pass, which I do believe is a rule of pass interference that the pass needs to be catchable. Instead, for whatever reason, the ref, again, think of these in terms of margin plays, things you cannot control. The ref says, I think that was pass interference, even though the ball, Chris Collinsworth's ranting about, that ball landed 20 yards away, 20 yards away from where these two were at. Pass interference, you get the ball right at the goal line. Raiders punch it in, touchdown. Huge swing at the end of the first half. But then we get into the 
second half, it looks like the Raiders maybe are going to win going away. They're up 29-14. And the last 16 minutes of the game is where this all culminates. And I'm thinking, this is already a playoff game, you know? This is already a playoff game. The winner goes to the playoffs. The loser goes home. And so I'm thinking about the intense theater, how much I love watching football, how much I love the NFL specifically. And I'm thinking of it in in coverage terms. Media, the way fans talk about it. And I'm going, man, it is pretty crazy that we're going to just conclude things about this game. This game is insanity. Would you ever find insane things in your life and try to make sense of them? No, you would say, this is insanity. <laughs> and as long as it wasn't negative, I'm just glad I was a part of it because this, this lets me know that there are a lot of unknowable things in the universe and I'm just going to ride with them. So the last 16 minutes of this game, the 10 minutes of overtime, it's ended on a field goal at the very end. Daniel Carlson ends up drilling it. Again, margin play, 47-yard field goal. If he makes it, Raiders go, Chargers don't. If he misses it, they both go. Steelers are out. Changes the seedings either way about who is playing who, depending on who misses, who makes, all that kind of stuff. It ends up going through. But the last 16 minutes of this game, it's just, it's, it is a case study in insanity in the margins. There's one play in particular that I was thinking about when it's 29-14. Chargers have a fourth down play that they throw and is originally ruled short of the first down marker, which pretty much ends the game. You know, there's five minutes left in the game at this point. They'd still be down by 15 points. And it goes to review. And you honestly can't tell if it's a first down or not. And for whatever reason, replay decides, I think he's on it. So let's just say it's on the 12-yard line and there you go. And that's what happens. They score a touchdown on fourth down to now cut it down. They score the two-point conversion at seven-point game. But this is the margin stuff that I'm talking about. If the refs, for whatever reason, again, this is an incredibly tight play that you can't, you honestly can't tell. I'm sure everybody was at home doing the same thing that I was doing. I don't know. I could see either way. But usually you just kind of say whatever was called on the field, we really got to stick with because I honestly can't tell where this ball is at relative to the first down marker. Instead, they go the other way. If they don't, the Raiders win going away and we just don't really think about this game again. Instead, it sets off insanity. It sets off the falling possession when Derek Carr is blasted by Joey Bosa. Now the Chargers are down seven, obviously. Strip sack, fumble out. The ball bounces directly, and I mean directly, into the hands of a big Chargers lineman who looks like he pounces on it. I'm celebrating because I bet the Chargers, and I'm going, you have the ball at the 15-yard line now. You're going to tie this game up with four minutes to go. And for whatever reason, who knows how, the Raiders end up with the ball. Just another one of these margin plays. So then all this stuff down the stretch that's going on, I'm not going to go over all of it, but I want to talk about the losing quarterback who has ascended to an incredible spot in my mind. He is my second favorite player to watch in football behind Aaron Rodgers. I think Justin Herbert's potential is virtually limitless. Uh, he is mesmerizing to watch, and he possesses every single possible talent that you could ever ask for in a quarterback. Now, Justin Herbert ends up being the losing quarterback. His team lost what is a de facto playoff game. Now, I would posit that there was no more clutch performance of the entire weekend than what Justin Herbert did. I don't think that's even up for debate. I mean, he was ripping fourth down pass after fourth down pass after fourth down pass. We're talking 
fourth and 20. We're talking fourth and 11. We're talking fourth and longs repeatedly again and again and again in regulation and in overtime. And he is throwing laser beams. Just by the definition of what we want clutch to be, Justin Herbert was that. This play, your season is on the line. Just this one play. And he repeatedly threw as good of a pass as you could throw. Then his receivers had to make the catch again and again and again and again. However, he's on the losing side. And I think we're still just like riding the the wave of adrenaline and just uh, gratitude for this game. That, man, this was just fun to be a part of. It really was. It was a fun day to be a football fan. It was a really fun game in general to just exist and watch. So I think we're still basking in that. And you're not going to hear bad words about Justin Herbert today, as you shouldn't. But this is one of those things down the road that we like to kind of retroactively point back at, depending on how his career falls out. I will always remember this game as Justin Herbert was incredible, truly incredible. He was on the losing side. Okay, that that happens. A lot of the stuff that I've talked about over the last five, 10 minutes plays into that. Um, Justin Herbert did throw a pick earlier in the game. It was not a great throw. Him and I believe it was Mike Williams kind of miscommunication. He looked like he was throwing something shorter. Williams was going long, and it was just an easy pick for the Raiders. Not a perfect performance, but when you watched it, you felt the full scope of, wow, this quarterback is doing everything he possibly can to try and help his team win. Now, I bring that up because as years go by, and depending on how his career plays out, this is the kind of stuff that that if you're a certain type of person, uh, and you cover this sport, you can point back at and go, ah, Justin Herbert, you know, he's now 0-3 in the playoffs, and he also lost a de facto playoff game against the Raiders. Do you remember that, you know? And so maybe he just doesn't have it. Maybe he's the reason that his team is losing. And I think it's important to point this out right now because, A, just we should all take our hats off to Justin Herbert and say that was awesome. B, we should take our hats off to that game in general and say that was awesome. And C... I want to talk about this right now for a specific reason. Because I'm I'm begging to everybody say, please, 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 remember this as we enter the NFL playoffs, that these games boil down to the margins. Almost all of them over the next couple of weeks will assuredly boil down to the margins. So when you know that, it makes it easier to use that information accordingly. When one team loses and one team wins in a playoff game, a one-game setting, And the following week, we will watch ESPN personalities and other sports networks. We'll watch these personalities scream the most outrageous opinions at one another about teams, about coaches, and most specifically about quarterbacks. Because these games came down to the margins. All the stuff I've discussed in the show, all the stuff that I'm constantly discussing over the course of this entire NFL regular season. Stuff as simple as a ref made a wrong call at a certain time. A replay was interpreted in a certain way by a ref. A field goal kicker made or missed a kick. Or, you know, the best the best encapsulation of all of this stuff that happened twice within Raiders Chargers on Sunday night. Fumble is out, it is loose, and this ball is just bouncing in a way that you literally cannot predict. And it bounces left and it bounces right. And the way that it bounces determines everything. Thank you for listening to The Chris Rawl Show. 
This podcast is produced by Weston Tanner. As a reminder, please subscribe and download to this show. That helps us immensely on our side. Please also, if you can, leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That also helps us immensely. And last but not least, if you enjoy this show, please share it with other sports fans in your life. I'm very confident if you do, that they will like it as well. Thank you and peace.